Hi, this is Jody. I'm the host of Mummy Brain Revisited, and today I'm going to be talking with Dr. Anne-Marie Delonia about her research on motherhood and brain aging. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please do let me know, and better yet, leave a rating wherever you've been listening. Welcome to Mommy Brain Revisited, the neuroscience of parenting. I'm your host, Dr. Jody Paluski. So it's really great to have you, Emery. And today I was wondering, before we get into your research, if you could just tell me why you're interested in studying the parental brain. As you know, there's been some, some really interesting studies on brain changes from before to after pregnancy and also during the postpartum period. But in general, I think we know less about whether these changes are transient or whether they are long lasting. And I think this was sort of why we got into this in the first place, looking at brain aging in women and whether that could have anything to do with um, how many children they had given birth to earlier in life. And in a larger context, I think the most sort of fascinating thing about this research is that we, we know very, very little about women's health and especially women's brain health. And I think these transitional periods such as pregnancy um, and menopause are, are really interesting and important to study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you hit on menopause, which I think is a whole other area we don't talk enough about and, and know enough about, which is also interesting and not any, only in terms of physiology, but also our neurophysiology and brain health. But going back to motherhood, I'm wondering, so maybe you can just tell us about your research looking at brain aging and motherhood. Yes, sure. So we, we looked at a number of previous childbirths and uh, brain aging in women later in life. So quite a lot of years after they have given birth. And uh, we found uh, an association between a younger brain and a higher number of previous childbirths. So like a younger brain, can you maybe tell us about this brain aging measurement or what does that mean? So when I say brain age, this is an estimate of someone's age that is based only on their brain characteristics. So we are using this method that we call brain age prediction to get a a brain age estimate for each participant. And this estimate is like a proxy for brain health and neural aging processes. And this uh, this method is is convenient because it, it provides one measure per participant, uh, which is based on a a really large number of different types of brain imaging data derived from MRI. And when you work with data sets that include thousands of people, this really helps managing the the complexity and the dimensionality of the data. So this estimate then can then be used to look at associations with other things, such as uh, previous childbirths or other factors of interest. Okay. And so, and that's taken from imaging data. So brain imaging data and that's, and you just said you dealt with thousands of samples. Is that right? 
Yes, so several of our, our studies are based on the UK Biobank, which is this massive open data set in the UK. And there we have um, imaging data on, I think, 44,000 at the moment. So this is quite a big shift in the field, right? We have so much data available now that we, we didn't have before. And it definitely has some consequences for the methods that we use. So this is sort of one, one example of that, this um, machine learning algorithms for you know, brain age prediction. So that's actually quite robust. Obviously, if you have thousands of images available, then we know then what you're seeing is most likely what's happening in general in the whole population. Yes, I think what's nice about this type of measure is that you can um, you can sort of model what's normal uh, with age, and then you look for deviations from normal brain aging. In this case, we, we see that women who have brains that are predicted to be younger than what is expected for their age have given birth to more children earlier in life. I do think it's, it is important to um, mention that this is a correlational study, right? So we, we cannot say for sure that having many children early in life leads to better brain health and aging. It could also be that women who have several children have slightly different looking brains. I mean, I think it's really fascinating to think that if you had children, then this brain age measure shows that you're actually younger, which would indicate healthier brain, ideally. Indeed, yes. So this... Um, in this brain age estimate uh, is based on sort of a normative trajectory for, for aging related brain changes. And we know that um, uh, with advancing age, uh, there is more atrophy and less white matter microstructure, for instance. So a younger looking brain in essence would mean less of these uh, aging related changes that we, we commonly see. And so and, and this is looking at, like, do you look at different brain areas or is it just looking at whole brain measurements? Yes, yeah, so, so we've looked at general brain aging across regions uh, using different measures of gray matter and white matter. But we also did one study where we looked more closely into uh, what regions could be more important. And there we, we found that the subcortical regions actually showed a particularly strong association with previous childbirths. Uh, and these were regions that have also been shown to uh, relate to maternal behavior, both in other human studies and in animals. So it was quite interesting. Yeah. So, and these areas would be areas such as the amygdala and the hypothalamus. Yeah, and nucleus accumbens was actually the strongest uh, effect that we found. And, and I think it's, it's as part of the reward system. Yeah, the reward and motivation. And oh, that's interesting. Indeed, yeah. So overall, you see the more children you had than the younger the age of the brain. Is that right? That's right. So um, we did um, different things. We also sort of classified women with and without children to see, you know, is, is this possible for a machine learning algorithm to identify uh, who did what in a way. Um, and uh, what we saw was, yes, there is an overall group effect, but this effect is stronger the, the more children that they had had. So what it means is that the 
difference between women with one child compared to none is not as large as the difference between women who have had two to three children compared to none. So it, it looks like there is something, um, there is definitely like a, an effect there that depends a bit on, on how many children you've had. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, this has come up before when we talked about, I think, work of Winnie Orchard. She looked at, at brain changes in aged uh, women and men in their 70s. Yes. Again, where there is a similar change or association between increased number of children and then greater changes in the brain. I don't remember the details, but it's something about having more children is better for your brain. I mean, let's not all do that, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's sort of what we found. And um, but it was something that you also mentioned um, about um, potential risk for Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. And here it becomes interesting because there are some studies showing that having uh, at least I think it is particularly more than four or five children can increase the risk <laughs> for Alzheimer's disease. So then, you know, you, you wonder, is there sort of a, an ideal number of <laughs> children that will lead to some positive effects and uh, that maybe having no children or many children have less positive effects, right? It might not necessarily be negative, but maybe it's less pronounced, for example. But I think this is, this is not current, currently clear, so it would be really nice to see some more research on it. But an issue, again, is that there aren't, even in these massive data sets that we are working with, there are quite few women with more than four children, right? So you're looking at these groups and, and you just don't, the statistics aren't as reliable. Yeah, because there's fewer people having multiple babies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Now, are there other factors that play a role, such as a level of education or ethnicity? for example? Yes, so we included quite a lot of factors to see if they could explain this association, and they didn't. <laughs> but I, I mean, we cannot guarantee that we're controlling for everything, of course. And I think there are other factors that, that may interact with this, but uh, the way it looked in our data was that this, this was a very robust effect, actually. So um, even, you know, when controlling for uh, not just educational level and things like that, but also cardiovascular factors and age at menopause, different things that we could, you know, easily imagine uh, could have an effect on, on brain aging. Uh, we still didn't, yeah, it still didn't explain everything. Um, but I think that it isn't so easy to, <laughs> to determine which factors are important. You can only really base this on, on what we know from other studies and currently it's not that much study studies on, on women's health so I think we just need to try and navigate and try and understand how these factors relate to each other um, and also of course I think following women over time is really important because then you can actually follow these changes and you can say something about what comes first in a way which I think is yeah it's quite helpful. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. As you're talking, I'm thinking about what about those women that gave birth, but then had a stillbirth? Was that something that was taken into account in the brain aging? 
Yeah, I think we did look at that actually, but uh, yeah, we, we couldn't really find any proper sort of uh, explanations for, for anything there. But you're touching on something really important here, though, because is it the, the pregnancy in itself or is it, you know, parenting or is it what is it that can potentially lead to these types of long lasting effects? And I think this is um, I think it's quite yeah, it's interesting. And a lot of people are talking about this now. Right. Is it how can we try to sort of pinpoint uh, exactly what it is? And I think um Looking at also parents uh, who are adoptive parents, yeah. um, fathers as well, having these sorts of benchmarks is, is really helpful because then you can maybe say say something more specific about where, where these effects are coming from. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, like you said, we don't know so much about women's health and women's brain health across the lifespan. And so, you know, your study is one of the first to look at the brain in aging in relation to having been parent or being a parent, right? So lots of this, this work has only been done maybe in humans in the early postpartum and not so much carrying on throughout life. Some work in animal models, of course, has been looking at later in life and the impact of parenting on the aging brain. But again, not as many, not very many at all, in fact. And I always think once, I mean, once you're a parent, you're always a parent. And I remember someone once mentioned to me, oh, but parenting is only really intense for the first couple of years of life. And I think, oh, I don't think so. I mean, it varies in, in your experience as a parent. I'm a parent of two, uh, almost eight and nine and a half years old. So uh, yeah, I think that there's different ways you parent as things go on, but there's still an, like you're a parent and I know, and I've said this before on the podcast, but I talk to my mom almost every day and I'm in my early forties. So, and I'm one of four, the youngest of four. So <laughs> I can only imagine all the parenting type stuff she goes through as well as grandparenting that my yeah. mom gets. So I, I always think, yeah, for sure. It's an enduring effect on our brains because not only did we experience this early maybe busy period but we actually have kids now for the rest of our life for most yes. of us and yeah. as you know you know that all of these different developmental stages that the kids go through you as a parent have to adjust quite constantly to all of that so even if the periods become easier <laughs> it's yeah. still different right there's different levels of different learning and yeah, so it's a lot of adjustment, I think, and it, it wouldn't be surprising if that had some kind of effect on the brain, I think, because we know that the brain is adaptable to, to our environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what about dads was my other question. Did you look at dads in your study? We didn't, um, but there are some studies that have looked at uh, the fathers, and, and I think the findings are maybe a bit varied at the moment, but I think that. Uh, at least one study found effects in fathers also, but they were not as strong and also maybe of a slightly different character mm. because of what we're talking about with the brain plasticity in that. I, I can imagine that there will be uh, some effects in, in fathers and, and also adoptive parents, but uh, it is possible that these effects that are seen in, in women um, who give birth, that they are uh, slightly different or maybe that they are sort of more closely linked to biological processes immune system and, and hormones and so on yeah so tell me about the biological processes 
that you think are predominantly playing a role in this brain aging? Yes, um, that's a very difficult question to answer because you know how it is in, in imaging studies, we, we don't really have access to these things. But uh, I think that it's quite, you know, fascinating how much goes on in the female body during a pregnancy and these fluctuations in hormones and how the immune system sort of really has to work quite perfectly almost to adjust to this. And, and then, yeah, this, this whole process and all these fluctuations, I, I, yeah, I can only imagine that it, it will definitely have a massive effects on, on the brain and, and how these things are regulated. The question that, that we are asking is, you know, are, are there some type of long lasting effects of this? For example, could there be some knock-on effects that um, influence how women later on deal with uh, menopause, for example, where you also have, you know, uh, hormonal processes that are not the same, but, you know, they, they affect the similar, similar systems. Uh, and we, we don't know yet, but I think that there are, there are so many interesting things to sort of try and probe in a, in a lifespan perspective with women. So all the way from, you know, adolescence, I think it's, it's really, really interesting, but it's, it's difficult to study as well because it's hard to follow someone <laughs> for that long. So we have to sort of use the data that we have at the moment and try and get some insight. Yeah, yeah. So it's a combination of physiological changes and experience Possibly, that likely, yeah. yeah, predicting the outcome. But I also, I'm going to ask you because you just mentioned looking your future research or your ongoing research right now is really looking at how parenting or the experience of motherhood might be playing a role in menopause. Is that right? We are definitely honing in on menopause a bit because this is another, you know, transitional period. Very little is known. And we we're trying currently to look at the effects of um, hormone replacement therapy, genetic risk, things like that to, to try and understand these, uh, you know, differences that we see between men and women in Alzheimer's disease prevalence and so on. Um, and yeah, so, so trying to make that connection to, <laughs> to previous pregnancies it is interesting, but quite difficult to navigate, I think, in terms of the data that we have. But I definitely think that, you know, if you, if you look at the lifespan of a woman and look at all of these factors that you know, it, it might be possible to, to try and sort of understand, is it something that happens early in life that can, you know, pre predict how it goes later on and how women deal with menopause, for, for example, because there is a lot of difference there between women. And then you also have, uh, for example, postpartum depression, another thing that we don't know that much about that is, is likely to be linked to brain plasticity. So there are just so many things <laughs> to look at and they're all so interesting and, and probably also connected. So we have a, we have a big job <laughs> in front of us, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's true. We just don't know enough, I think, about parenting, mental health around parenting, and then it's an impact throughout the lifespan. There is another ongoing study as well, actually, in, in Oslo, where my colleagues are scanning women before conception and after childbirth. And there um, they, they have um, a particular aim to investigate pregnancy-related brain plasticity, obviously, and how 
this may constitute a risk for postpartum or maternal depression. So it's um, yeah, it's very interesting, but of course it will take some time to, <laughs> to get the data for this. But I think those types of studies are, are very important now because they follow women over time. And that isn't an aging study, but you know, it, it is all connected. Yeah, there are some ongoing studies now that, that are focusing in on this. So I'm, I'm really glad to see that this is getting funded and yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm always happy to see more research in this area. Um, I think we have far more in animal models than we do in humans, but we still don't have enough research overall. And I think that's a funding issue. So it's always nice to, to see more research coming out to increase our understanding of how the brain changes across pregnancy and its impact later in life, especially yes. with mental illness. And I think what you noted, the, the study you're involved in with the longitudinal brain imaging measures, that would be really interesting because you could possibly see if there are predictive factors before pregnancy that might play a role in, in having mental illness postpartum. Yes. And I think, yeah, there's so many questions around mental illness and pregnancy and postpartum that we just need to answer especially when it comes to brain health. Yeah, and there's another sort of um, way to look at it as well, that uh, these transitional periods, adolescence, pregnancy, menopause, they are periods of, of change in the brain. In some ways, that's, it's, it's necessary, right? It's important that you sort of, um, that your brain adapts to a new situation. But at the same time, this can make, some individuals vulnerable to, to mental disorders. And uh, we know that a lot of mental disorders have onset during adolescence, for example, which is another mm -hmm. period of, of heightened brain plasticity. So this is something to, I think, try and understand uh, in pregnancy as well. But we're only really seeing these studies now, you know, about what goes on in the brain. So it's, um, yeah, it, it will be very interesting, I think, in the next few years to keep an eye on these brain plasticity and mental health studies. Very, very interesting. Yeah, super. So I have one more question. What happens if we don't have kids? Should we have kids? Is that the only thing that's good for our brains? Yeah, so, so I think it's, it's really important to, to stress that these effects are quite moderate or, or small. So whether you have children or not will definitely not determine how healthy your brain is when you age. And I think um, there are extreme amount of factors that, um, that influence how we age. So having children or not is, is only potentially one of them. Although we see these really interesting links between brain age and previous childbirths, it's important not to draw too many conclusions about the importance uh, of these findings for our everyday life, in a sense, because there, there are so many factors that, that influence how we age. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I mean, I saw once in a paper that someone wrote, like the, the female brain doesn't reach its full potential unless uh, the female reproduces. And I thought, no, 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 oh, no, no, we can't say that. <laughs> no. Yeah, oh dear, exactly. So I think we all reach our potential different ways. And I'm focused on how parenting affects the brain, but we of course know that a multitude of factors affect our brain health and our health and having kids or not isn't going to make or break your life or how healthy you are. So I think that's important. Definitely.
So I'm going to ask you in general, what questions would you like to see answered when we're talking about the maternal brain or the parental brain? So I, I definitely think that trying to get closer to, to the underlying effects is interesting. And then, you know, looking at uh, fathers, for example, and, and trying to pass these different processes and uh, what's going on underneath. And I also think that I would really like to just see more research on, on women's health in general, <laughs> because we, we, I think it's very important that we try to catch up science-wise now so we can ensure proper health care and, and, and informed decisions. And thankfully, as, as we talked about, there, there is a lot of interesting research going on at the moment, but yes, we have a lot to, to do uh, <laughs> in order to catch up. So I think it's almost like it's really hard to answer your question because it's everything <laughs> when it comes to this uh, yeah, sex specific risk factors, sex differences in disease prevalence. And we have to just start somewhere, I think, but yeah, it's, um, it's uh, definitely a, a big field. It's true because sometimes I think I'm look at papers and it will be, uh, you know, X changes Y in the brain, but it's actually this in males and this continues and continues and continues where the title of the paper will just be, um, well, it will be some descriptor or something really big was discovered, but then when you look at it, it's always in males. And it's been something that we've been arguing to change for over a decade now, but it's still quite prevalent to see research and ideas and theories based on research that's only been done in males and not in females, for one. And then not in females, who have experienced uh, pregnancy or motherhood, because we know that most, many, or the majority, I would say, of adult females in most species reproduce. And so if we're not taking that into account, then we're also missing so much information. And we do have tons of catch up to do. We've been studying the male brain for a long time. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Questions, comments, suggestions, get in touch at Mommy Brain Revisited on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can also contact me on my website at jodipaluski.com. That's J-O-D-I-P-A-W-L-U-S-K-I.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. Both sides, pulling and pushing away. Still bad and they are gonna stay.